Shalom, shalom. Welcome. Welcome, world changers. Tonight, we're going to have a very interesting night. We're going to read through Judges chapter 8 all the way through to Judges chapter 16. Going to talk about some very interesting topics, including, well, we're going to finish up with Gideon. We're going to talk about Jephthah and his daughter. Quite the story there. Also, the story of Samson. You've heard it many times, I'm sure, that Samson's strength came from his hair, but that's not exactly true. I'm going to show you guys something about, about the story of Samson that a lot of you guys probably have never heard before. Samson's strength was not in his hair in and of itself. We're going to get into that a little bit later. In the meantime, let's see what's going on in the chat. In the chat, we have 1 John 2.26 says, Shalom, happy Tuesday. Shalom, brother. Welcome. Happy Tuesday as well to you. Um, Mark says, Shalom. Jeff says, Shalom, friends. Shalom, guys. Welcome. Great to see you guys. Brother, I mean, Jordan, excuse me, uh, sh says, Shalom, all. Shalom, Jordan. Good to see you. By the way, tomorrow evening, if you're not aware of it, tomorrow evening, Jordan is going to be with us, Lord willing, and he's going to be singing some. Um, songs, uh, some of the songs that he it's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Some live music from J Jordan is a wonderful brother in the Lord, and he also is a very talented musician and singer. So we're looking forward to that tomorrow evening. Uh, same time, same place, by the way, it'd be 7 p.m. Eastern. Colomento says, Shalom to all. Shalom to you. Seek the truth in Christ, says, Blessings, brothers and sisters. Blessings multiplied back to you. Thank you very much. And Psalm 94 says, uh, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Awesome. Good to see you guys. Welcome. Welcome. As always, uh, sometimes we have a lot of a lot of comments, a lot of questions in the chat. In, if that's the case, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the chat. And I do this intermittently throughout, throughout the evening. I will go through the chat. I will be responding to your questions, to your comments. If you really want to catch my attention, okay, and you want to you direct a, a, a question specifically to me, just put uh, at Christopher, uh, the, at Christopher in the uh, in the live chat, and I will, uh, I will pay special attention to that. Okay, so awesome. Let's get into Judges, Judges chapter eight. But in order to really pick up from Judges chapter eight, uh, we need to kind of add a little bit of context to it. So I'm going to read just a couple paragraphs from Judges chapter 7, because actually it's all part of the same story. So starting in a J Judges chapter 8 is kind of like, where are you starting from? What's going on here? So yeah. By the way, did you guys know that the Bible, like every book of the Bible, because the Bible is is composed of, uh, the Bible contains many books from many different authors over a uh, centuries, okay? And there was no no book of the Bible. No book of the Bible was written originally with chapters and verses. It was all just one document, one long document, one long scroll, okay? And so later on, uh, the translators or the scribes, they divided them up like say, okay, let's let's make this in, into a chapter. Let's divide these uh, this up into verses. And by the way, as you guys know that the word verse, um, they call it verse because originally, and you know, even to this day, especially in Jewish circles, 
The Bible is actually sung. It's like the whole thing is a song and a verse is like a verse of a song. And so uh, like, there's a lot of, um, well, every, as far as I know, every synagogue, maybe there might be some that doesn't do this, but every synagogue out there, um, they, they do what they call Torah uh, chanting or trope, okay? This kind of thing where they actually sing the scriptures. They have uh, people going up to the front and they would actually sing the scriptures. And actually in Luke chapter four, when Yeshua, when Jesus went up to the front, it says they handed him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Remember, there was no Bible back in those days and Jesus had no problem with it. Every book was kept separate. Like, you know, there were separate books, separate. Uh, it wasn't all put together in one compilation called the Bible. Rather, it was kept separately. And just a second here. And so it's a chance. And now I know that traditionally speaking, the Jewish people would sing the books of Moses, but then the other books like the, the, the prophets would not be sung. But, but there is a chance that Yeshua would act actually have sung the book of Isaiah, not just reading it per se. Read it. Interesting, interesting thought. Can you imagine hearing Jesus sing? Hmm, interesting thought. So let's pick up from, um, well, let's actually read again the last few cha um, chapters, excuse me, paragraphs of of Judges chapter 7. Then we're going to pick up with Judges and we're going to read through lots of interesting stories. You guys, um, and I pray you guys are as blessed as I was blessed by learning some of the stuff that I learned in uh, in these portions of Scripture. By the way, but BB says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Good to see you. Welcome. Welcome. All right. Let's start again with Judges chapter 7. I'm going to start reading from verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him to the outskirts of the camping of the middle night watch, when they had just posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets and smashed smashed that were in their hands. When the three units the trumpets and broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing and shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And each stood in his place around the camp. All the enemy, excuse me, all the army ran, crying out as they fled. And when they blew the three hundred trumpets, the Lord set the sword of every one against another, even throughout the entire army. Think about this for a second. Okay, these these. I mean, Gideon was. He only had a few men in comparison to the other to the others, right? And so when they, in faith, blew the trumpets, smashed the pitchers, and had these torches and stuff, it, basically what happened was God caused the enemy to attack itself. The enemy army, they were attacking themselves. Can you imagine in your own life that God's favor is upon you and God does a miracle for you where your enemies, be it spiritual, I mean, or whatever, attack themselves. It's like you just got you just sitting back, you know, bag of popcorn. You're watching the action. You're watching. They're it's destroying themselves. By the way, there are 
<laughs> especially well, in many parts of the world and in many communities today, I do think that a lot of uh, communities today are actually self-destructive. And that's what we see here, uh, self-destructive. Okay, so moving on here, it says, and the army fled as far as Beth Shita toward Zerera, as far as the edge of Mahola by Tabath. And the men of Israel were summoned from Naphtali, Asher and all Manasseh, and they pursued Midian. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against Midian and take control of the waters ahead of them as far as Beth Bara and the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were summoned, and they took control of the waters as far as Beth Bara and the Jordan. And they captured the two leaders of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. And they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and they killed Zeb at the winepress of Zeb while they pursued Midian, and they, they brought the heads of Ora and Zeb to Gideon from across the Jordan. Judges chapter 8, uh, just in, in the, just a moment here, we have Jeff that says, pray that the internet drops less packets of audio. Yes, I know Jeff has been um, letting me know that it, he has, at least on his end, and I want to ask you guys as well, anybody who's listening right now, um, do you find, I know this happens, uh, this has happened many times in the past, but to, tonight, do you find that there are like hiccups, so to speak, of uh, like the audio would go every once in a while? Uh, if it does, please let me know in live chat. Does the audio skip or clip or, you know, this kind of thing? Um, just let me know. And uh, I, I have actually looked into this and I believe it is an internet connection issue. If that's, the, if that's what, um, I just want to make sure that it's on my end here. So have you guys heard that kind of thing tonight so far? Just let me know and appreciate it. Thank you very much. And I do pray. Okay. So Chanda says some skipping happening. Mm. Yes. I apologize for that. Unfortunately, this is something that Chanda said, or Hanna, Hanna. Sorry if I mispronounce your name. Uh, Christina says it does get hung up every so often for me too. Okay, so yeah, so it is on my end. So I have, I have um, looked into this a while ago. Yeah, and so Psalm ninety four says that the audio does. Um, yeah, freeze up every once in a while. So what's going on here? And I have looked into this and looked into the entire system, what's going on here. And there is, uh, the problem is a network problem. And it's it's because of the network that we have here. Um, Lord willing, from what I hear, we're going to have a much, much better internet connection in a matter of a couple months. Okay, so uh, all of that should should be solved in a couple months. Uh, but until then, yes, let's pray that um let's pray that it's i'm just sorry i'm just kind of i'm reading the comments here um let's pray that uh it does not skip okay so jeff says what helps a lot for me is reading along with christopher okay that's great good to know thank you very much for letting me know um and on john 226 says it's always glitchy when you first start seems okay now okay so let's yes uh 
Father, we, we bless you, Father. Thank you, Father, for this night. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to come together and to, and to, to fellowship. Um, thank you, Father, for your blessings upon us. You are holy. You are great. You are, you are awesome, Father. And, and Father, we ask you that this problem would be really intervene that this problem would 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 not happen father you would you would see to it that at least it's minimized in the name of yeshua of nazareth and everyone said amen and amen all right okay so yes again my i apologize i apologize but it's beyond my control uh, i have done a lot of system checking here i've done a lot of things like that and it actually it does tell me there's one thing i do have up here that does tell me when there when are frames that are dropped because of uh, network issues, and that's the case. It has been determined that it's not really; it's the actual internet connection. Uh, the, my ISP. That's what it is. That's the problem. Okay, so let's continue with Judges chapter eight. Zeba and Zalmunna rooted. Then the men of Ephraim said to Gideon, okay, in the, the footnote, says literally to him, and to Gideon, what is this thing that you have done to us, not calling upon us when you, when you went to fight against Midian? And they quarreled with him vehemently. But he said to them, what have I done now in comparison with you? Is the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim not better than the vintage of Abiezer? God has handed over to you the leaders of Midian, Oreb, and Zaim. And what was able, what I was able to do in comparison, excuse me, and what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then the anger toward him, their anger toward him sub, subsided when he had said that. Then and the 300 men who were with him came to the Jordan and crossed over yet still pursuing. And he said to the men of Sukkoth, or Sukkot, Please give loaves of bread to the people who are following me, for they are exhausted, and I am pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. But the leaders of Sukkot said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna already in your hand? That we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, Sir, when the Lord has handed over to me Zeba and Zalmunna, I will thrash your bodies with thorns of the wilderness and with their with briars. When he went to Penuel and spoke similar to them, and the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Sukkot had answered. So he said also to the men of Penuel, when I return safely, I down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were in Karkor and their armies with them, about 15,000 men, all who were left of the entire army of the people of the east for the fallen were 120,000 swordsmen. Gideon went up by the way of those who lived in the tents to the east of Noba and Bea, and he attacked the camp when the camp was unsus 
expecting. When Zeba and Zomuna fled, he pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zomuna, and routed the entire army. Then Gibeon, the son of Yoash, returned from the battle by the ascent of Jerez, and he captured a youth from Sukkot and questioned him. Then the youth wrote down for him the leaders of Sukkot and its elders, 77 men. And he came to the men of Sukkot and said, Behold, Zeba and Zomuna, about whom, who, about whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zomuna already hand, that we should give bread to your men who are weary? Then he took the elders and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and he disciplined the men of Sukkot with them. And he tore down the tower of Penuel and killed the city. Then he said to Zeba and Zalmunna, Where were the men who you killed at Tabor? But they said, You and they were alike, each one resembling the son of a king. And he said, They were my mothers, the sons of my mother, as the Lord lives. If you had let them live, I would not kill you. So he said to Yether, his firstborn, Rise, kill them. But the youth did not draw his sword, for he was afraid, because he was still a youth. Then Zeba and Zalmona said, Rise up yourself and attack us, for as so is his strength. So Gideon arose and killed Zeba and Zalmona, and took the crescent amulets which were on their, car, their camels' necks. Then the man of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son your son's son as well, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Just stop here for a second. Basically, no king but God. No king but God. And this is in contrast to what we will read a little bit later when uh, Samuel, the, during the life and the time of Samuel and uh, Shaul, the Saul, King Saul. The children of Israel wanted a king and God's like, no, you, you've, you've had me as your king all, the all this time. It's not good for you to have a king, but they were insistent. I, we want a king, we want a king. And it's almost like God gave in to them. It's almost like God said, well, okay, it's not gonna be good for you, but I'll give you what you want. And he gave them Shaul, Saul. But here you see, Gideon was very, like this again, this is before the time of Shaul, before the time of King Saul. Gideon was very adamant. No, I'm not going to be your king, and my son is not going to be your king. It's not, you know, only the Lord will be your king. Only the Lord will rule over you. Can you imagine what, what your country, wherever you are in the world, can you imagine what it would be like if if everybody was like that? It's like, ah, we don't need, you know, these rulers, these politicians. All we have is God. God will be our ruler. God will be the leader of our country. Can you imagine what that would be like? That's the way it was from the days of Moses all the way through till it, and we see Gideon's time here. Verse 24, yet Gideon said to them, I, I would request of you. Each of you give me an earring from his plunder, for they had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. 
I find that interesting that it's like, hey, it's almost like the way it's worded here. It's almost like the Ishmaelites. It's like, if you're an Ishmaelite, you have gold earrings. <laughs> you, you're, if you're wearing gold ear- earrings, it's probably because you're an Ishmaelite. That's basically how it's worded here. Okay. Uh, for they had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. Um, maybe I should say the other way around. If you're an Ishmaelite, you have a gold, you have gold earrings. Not that everybody that has gold earrings is an Ishmaelite. Don't get me wrong, but just the way it's worded here, I find it interesting. Verse 25. And they said, we will certainly give them to you. So they spread out a garment and every one of them tossed an earring from his plunder. The weight of the gold earrings that, that he requested was 1700 shekels of gold. Apart from the crescent amulets, the ear pendants, and robes, which were on the kings of Midian. And apart from the neck chains that were on their camels' necks, Gideon made it into an ephod and placed it in, in his city, Ophrah. But all Israel committed infidelity with it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his household. You find it so interesting that people are so apt to be to engage in idolatry, even claiming that. I mean, even even being the people of God, and we see that in the church today as well, right? People who claim that you know they God is the you know, God is their only God. They have no other gods before Him, but they might say that or think that in their mind, but in action. They really do have other gods, don't they? They really do. They have other idols. Moving on with verse 28. So Midian was subdued before the sons of Israel, and they did not lift up their heads, and the land was undisturbed for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Then Yerubal, that's Gideon, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house and was sons who were in his direct who were his look at how it's you know it's very interesting that we have here we know that you know from a couple chapters ago we know that Yerub Allah or Jerubal depends on how you want to trans, uh, pronounce it is Gideon but why is he called Yerubal here and Gideon down here it's almost like where we read about Isaiah, or excuse me, not Isaiah, Israel and Jacob. We know that Israel, the man, is Jacob. But we see throughout the Tanakh how sometimes he's called Jacob, sometimes he's called Israel. Why is it like this? Sometimes he's called Gideon, and sometimes he's called Yarub Baal, Jerubbaal. Very interesting. Now Gideon had 70 sons who were his direct descendants, for he had many wives. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and he named him Abimelech. Abimelech. Literally, that means um, father of the king. Okay, father of the king. Abi means father, like Abba. Okay, Abi and Melech means king. And Gideon, was, Gideon, the son of Yoash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father, Yoash, in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. Then it came about, as soon as Gideon was dead, 
that the sons of Israel again committed infidelity with the Baals or with the Baals and made Baal Berith their God. Now, let me just let me just stop here for a second. This whole idea of Baals um, or Baals, literally, that's how you would pronounce it in the Hebrew. And I think it's worth noting that one of the names of God includes the name Baal. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Baals are, are God or, you know, that kind of thing. But David, King David, okay, King David, he named the place, he, he named, um, when, when he, when he uh, excuse me, when he experienced the breakthrough from God, he named, he, he coined the name Baal or Baal Perizim, the Lord of the breakthrough. Because the word Baal or Baal literally means Lord, Lord. So David used it in the context of even God himself. Here, of course, these are other gods. So they made Baal or Baal Berith their god. So the sons of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had saved them in the hands of all from the hands of all their enemies on every side. Nor did they show kindness to the household of Yerubal, that is Gideon, in accordance with all the good that he had done for Israel. Judges chapter 9. Now, Abimelech, the son of Yerubal, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and spoke to them and to the entire family of the, of the household of his mother's father, saying, Speak now in the hearing of all the leaders of Shechem. Which is better for you, for 70 men, all the sons of Yerubal, to rule over you, or for one man to rule over you? Also, remember that I am your bone, your bone and your flesh. So his mother's relatives spoke all, all words on, on his behalf in the hearing of all the leaders of Shechem. And they were inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, he is our relative. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver from the house of Baal Berith, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men and they followed him. Then he went to his father's house in Ophrah and, and killed his brothers, the sons of Yerubbaal, 70 men, on one stone. Yotham, the youngest son of Yerubbaal, was left because he hid himself. All the leaders of Shechem and all Beth Milo assembled together, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the memorial stone, which was in Shechem. Now, when they told Yotham, he went and stood on the, on the top of Mount Gerizim and raised his voice and called out, and he said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. Once the trees went anointed king over them, and they said to the olive tree, But the olive tree said to them, Shall I give up my fatness? with which God and mankind is honored and go wave over, other, over the trees? 
trees said to the fig tree, You, come, reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I give up my sweetness and my good fruit and go to wave over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, Come, you, come, reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I give up my new wine, which cheers God and mankind, and go to wave over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You, come, reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If you really are anointing me as king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, make may fire come out of the bramble and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Now then, if you have, a, if you have acted with honesty and integrity in making a king, and if you have dwelt well with Yerubal and his house, and have dwelt with him as he deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and saved you from the hand of Midian. But in fact, you have risen against my father's house today and have killed his sons, seven men on one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his female, the son of the son of his female slave, king over the leaders of Shechem, because he is your relative. So. If you have with honesty and integrity toward Yarabal and his house this day, be joyful about Abimelech, and may he also be joyful about you. But if not, may fire come out of Abimelech and consume the leaders of Shechem at Beth Milo, and may fire come out of the leaders Shechem and from Beth Milo and consume Abimelech. Then Yotham escaped and fled and went to Be'er. And he stayed there because of his father, or his brother, Abimelech. Now Abimelech ruled over Israel for three years. Then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. Let me, let me stop here for a second. Because this, this particular concept, this particular concept in the, in the minds of many Christians, not all, but some, many, many Christians, is is impossible. A lot of Christians do not believe that God would send an evil spirit. Here he did. God sent an evil spirit. We will also read about this, I mentioned earlier, um, in the days of King Saul. Later on, later on down the road, okay, we'll read about it. When God wasn't the devil, it was God who sent an evil spirit to King Saul. Here, God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. Why he did that? That's another, that's a whole other issue, why he did that. And usually it's because of something that Abimelech did, did or, you know, in the case of King Saul, it would be something that King Saul did that would be, that would give the enemy legal ground, so to speak, in his life. And we'll, we'll, we'll get, you know, we'll read about that when we get there. But in this case, what did, what did Abimelech do? What did he do to, to deserve an evil spirit from God? <laughs> A lot of Christians don't really take note of that. They don't. Okay. Sorry about that. Have some problems here. Um, Thank you for your thank you for your understanding. I think we have everything under control right 
now. Um, this is what you get when we're doing live, right? This is what you get when we're doing live. Um, so thank you again. I hope everything is good now. So, all right. Anyways, let's continue with Judges chapter 9. This is verse 23. Uh, it says, Then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. Okay, so again, let's let's just let's just look at this for a second. So this evil spirit that God sent was against Abimelech. These this evil spirit caused the leaders of Shechem to deal treacherously with Abimelech. You think about this. If you have someone that's dealing treacherously with you, you got to ask a question. You got to ask a question. Is this is there an evil spirit behind this? Why is this happening? It says the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech verse 24, so that the violence done to the 70 sons of Yarabeel would would come and the responsibility for their blood would be placed on their brother Abimelech, who killed them, and on the leaders of Shechem, who encouraged him to kill his brothers. So, see, this is this is the idea here. It, we always see this, always, always, always. So when an evil spirit comes and inflicts somebody or causes hard difficulty, adverse circumstances in your life or in anybody's life for that matter, a lot of times you got to say, okay, so what happened? What? Why did? Why did this happen? And in this case, Abimelech was responsible, and the leaders of Shechem was responsible for his seventy sons that was slaughtered. Okay, and it's because of that that God sent an evil spirit. So, uh, it's always see God. He's always on the throne. He's he's always on the throne, and when things happen. You got to ask God, why did this happen? Is there a purpose behind this? Did I do something that would open the door to speak to cause something else to come back at me? So it's just questions, just questions. Verse 25. The leaders of Shechem set up men in the ambush against him on the tops of the mountains, and they robbed everyone who would pass by them on the road. And it was reported to Abimelech. Now, now Gaal, the son of Abed, came with his relatives and crossed over to, into Shechem, and the leaders of Shechem trusted him. So they went to the field and gathered the grapes of the vineyards and trampled them and held a festival. And they went into the house of their God and ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. Then Gaal, the son of Abed, said, who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Yerubal? And is Zebul not his governor? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem, but why should we serve him? If only this people under my authority, then I would do away with Abimelech. And he said to Abimelech, enlarge your army and come out. Then Zebul, the leader of the city, heard the words of Gaal, the son of Abed. His anger burned. When 
Zabur. I heard the words of Gaal, son of Abed, his anger. So using deception, successfully sent messengers to Abimelech saying, Behold, Gaal, the son of Abed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and behold, they are stirring up the city against you. So now, arise by night, you and the people who are with you, and lie in wait in the field. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, you shall rise early and attack the city. And behold, when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you shall do to them whatever you can. So Abimelech and all the people who were with him got up, the, got up at night and lay in wait against Shechem in four units. Now Gaal the son of Abed went out and stood at the entrance of the city gate, and Abimelech and the people who were with him arose from the ambush. When Gaal saw the people, he said to Zabul, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. But Zabul said to him, You are seeing the shadow of the mount as if they were people. And Gaal spoke again and said, Look, people are coming down from the the highest part of the land, and one unit is coming by the way of the diviner's oak. Then Zebul said to him, Where then is your boasting, with which you have said, Who is Abimelech? Serve him. Is this not the people whom you rejected? Go out now and fight them. So Gaal went out in the sight of all the leaders of Shechem and fought Abimelech. But Abimelech chased, them, chased him. And he fled from him. And many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. Then Abimelech stayed in Arumah. But Zebul drove out Gaal and his relatives so that they could not stay in Shechem. Now it came about the next day that the people went out to the field and it was reported to Abimelech. So he took his people and divided them into three units and lay in wait in the field. When he looked and saw the people coming out from the city, he attacked them and killed them. Then Abimelech and the company who was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the city gate. The other two companies attacked all who were in the field and killed them. Abimelech fought against the city that whole day, and he captured the city and killed the people who were in it. Then he tore down the city and sowed it with salt. When all, all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard about it, they entered in, uh, entered the inner chamber of the temple of El Berith, and it was reported to Abimelech that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. So Abimelech went up to Mount he and all the people who were with him, and Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a branch from the trees and lifted it and put it on his shoulder. Then he said to the people who were with him, What you saw me do, hurry and do likewise. So all the people also cut down each one his branch and followed Abimelech and them on top of the inner chamber and set the inner chamber on fire over those inside so that all the people of the tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. Then Abimelech went to Thebes. And he camped against Thebes and captured it. 
But there was a strong tower in the, in the center of the city, and all the men and women with all the leaders of the city fled there and shut themselves in. And they went up on the roof of the tower. So Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and approached the entrance of the tower to burn it down with fire. But a woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head, crushing his skull. Very interesting that we have these women that, that would, we, we read about Yael or Jael earlier that, uh, that did something of this number to Sisera. And we have here a woman who threw an upper millstone. That woman must have been strong. That woman must have been strong. To throw an upper millstone, I would suspect that millstone must have weighed a lot, of, a lot okay? Crushing enough to crush his skull, anyway. And they call, and he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said to him, "Draw your sword and kill me, so that it will not be said of me, a woman killed me or killed him." So the young man pierced him, and he died. So when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, and each left, each each left for his for his home. So God repaid, repaid. Again, we have this, God repaid. It always happens. God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father in killing his 70 brothers. So this wickedness, it doesn't, it, it's not about, it's not exclusively about what, the, about what Abimelech did to his brothers, but what he'd done to his father. In killing his 70 brothers. So the way he treated his siblings, isn't that amazing? The way he the way he treated his siblings was as if he did something against his father. Wow. Isn't that something? Hmm. Ver, verse 57. Also, God also returned all the wickedness of the men of Shechem on their heads and the curse of Yotham. The son of Yerubael come came upon them. Oh, I mean this this should this should kind of nudge a little bit. This this should kind of nudge each one of us a little bit closer towards the fear of the Lord, right? That God will repay. Now, again, I do believe that the whole the whole concept of God repaying you will not does not apply if you have repented. Now, I mean, repent mean that you have changed. Okay, you've changed your, the way you live, you change the way you act, the way you, the way you behave, the way you think, all that kind of thing. You've changed, and according to the word of God, if, that, if you have changed, then, um, then God will not punish you for, for your sin. Judges chapter 10. Now again, before I start reading this, before I um, before I get too far, I know there were some new people that have joined. Uh, in the meantime, by the way, I am streaming this live uh, on Podbean as well as on YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and several other platforms as well. If you've just joined in the recent, you know, half an hour or more, um, what we're doing here is we're reading from Judges chapter 8 through Judges chapter 16. 
awesome, awesome stories here. Uh, a few such as the story of Jephthah, as well as Jephthah's daughter. There's, a, there's some good lessons to be learned there. But we're also going to be reading about Samson. And this is a very misunderstood story, very misunderstood, because a lot of people think of Samson having some kind of magical strength power and it was in his hair or something like that. And he, and he lost his strength because he lost his hair. And it's not like that. His strength did not come exclusively in, in, from his hair in and of itself. There is, I'm going to show you guys when, once we get there, it won't be long. Um, there's a reason. According to actually the book of Numbers, okay, the story of Samson ties back to the book of Numbers, and that will tell you why and how he got his strength and why and how he lost his strength. In the meantime, let's read. Again, there's a lot of awesome stories. Let's read this. This is Judges chapter 10, verse 1. Now, after Abimelech died, Tola the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, a man Issachar, rose up to save Israel. And he lived in Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim. He judged Israel for 23 years. Then he died and was buried in Shamir. After him, Yair, the Gileadite, rose up and judged Israel for 22 years. He had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys and they had 30 cities in the land of Gilead that are called Havot, or Havot Yair. To this day, Havot Yair literally means the towns of Yair or Jair. Towns of Jair, Yair. And Jair or Yair died and was buried in Kamon. Then the sons of Israel again, again, we see this all time and time again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, and the gods of the sons of Ammon, gods of the Philistines. So they abandoned the Lord and they did not serve him. So the, and again, always, this, this always happens. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines. You know, the, Sometimes you'd wonder, sometimes you kind of wonder, why did God leave the Philistines there, the Philistines? Why did he leave them there? There were lots of other nations that were completely wiped out. Why did he leave, why did he leave them there? For this purpose. God used the Philistines as an instrument of punishment. And that's a very amazing concept. That's an that's a very amazing concept. God has done this. God did this before in the past. He's still doing it. Some enemies exist in of different people, and they exist because of many like, for testing them, for proving them, for punishing them. And somebody might even ask, why does why does Satan himself exist? You know. So it's an amazing, I mean, we can, we can spend a lot of time just meditating on this stuff and thinking about the, the, that we can glean from this kind of scripture. It's just absolutely amazing. 
So, so the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the sons of Ammon. And they afflicted, afflicted. In the footnotes, destroyed. They destroyed, they afflicted and oppressed the sons of Israel that year. For 18 years, they oppressed all the sons of Israel who were beyond the Jordan. In Gilead, in the land of the Amorites. And the sons of Ammon crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah, Benjamin, and the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was in great difficulty. Then the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. You see, how many times, how many times have we read this since when? Judges chapter 2? Judges chapter, you know, we've read this over. and over. It's, a, it's a cycle. It keeps on going. It's around and around. We go, around and around we go. Right? The people... They get proud and they sin and they, they, you know, God strikes them down and they're humble. Then they cry out unto the Lord. God forgives them and God sends them a deliverer and saves them from the, the adverse circumstances that they're in. And then they come back up and they're full of pride and arrogance again and also sin more. And it's just, oh, it's around and around we go. Verse 10. This is Judges 10, verse 10. Then the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, for indeed our God and served the Baals, the Lord's. And the Lord said to the sons of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians, the Amorites, the sons of Ammon, and the Philistines? And when Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Ma Maonites oppressed you, you cried out to me, and I saved you from their hands. Yet you abandoned me and served other gods. Therefore, I will no longer save you. Ooh, is that ever heavy, isn't it? That's a ser- that's serious. Because <laughs> at that point, at that point, God had enough. Enough's enough. Enough's enough. How many times do I have to save you? Because you're just going to go right back to the same old filth. Verse 14. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. and Let them save you in the time of your distress. Then the sons of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. That's whatever seems good to you. Only please save us this day. So they removed the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And he could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Then the sons of Ammon were summoned, and they camped in Gilead. And the sons of Israel gathered together and camped in Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, uh, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the sons of Ammon? He shall become head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Judges chapter 11. Just as a reminder, if you guys in the live chat have any specific questions for me, um, put uh, at Christopher in the, in the live chat. I will send, I will um, pay special attention to those, to those um, comments. Judges chapter 11, Jephthah, the ninth judge. Now here we go with the, the story of Jephthah. Now Jephthah was the now Jephthah the Gileadite was a valiant warrior 
but he was the son of a prostitute. And Gilead had fathered Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore bore him sons, and when his wife's grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. And Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless men gathered around Jephthah, and they went wherever he did. And it came about after a while that the sons of Ammon fought against Israel. When the sons of Ammon fought against Israel, of Gilead went to get Jephthah out, or get Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our leader, that we may fight against the sons of Ammon. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and drive me from my father's house? So why have you come to why have you come to me now when you are in trouble? The elders of Israel said to Jephthah, For this reason we have now returned to you, that you may go with us and fight the sons of Ammon, and become our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me back to fight against the sons of Ammon, and the, and the Lord gives them up to me, will I become your head? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord is witness between us. Be assured, we will do as you have said. Then Jephthah went to the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. So Jephthah said, sent a message to the king of the sons of Ammon, saying, What conflict do, do you and I have that you have come to me to fight against my land? And the king of the sons of Ammon said to the members of Jephthah, it is because Israel took my land when, when they came up from Egypt, from the Arnon, as far as the Yabok and the Jordan. So return them peaceably now. But Jephthah sent messengers once again to the king of the sons of Ammon, and they said to him, This is what Jephthah says. Israel did not take, it, take the land of Moab, nor this, the land of of the sons of Ammon, for when, for when they came up from Egypt, and Israel went through the wilderness to the to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh, then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, "Please, let us pass through our land, your land." Excuse me. But the king of Edom listened, and they also sent messengers to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained at Kadesh. Then they went through the wilderness and around the land of Edom and the land of Moab and came to the east side of the land of Moab. And they encamped beyond the Arnon, but they did not enter the territory of Moab, for the Arnon was the border of Moab. And Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, the king of Heshbon. And Israel said, said, to, said to him, please let us pass through your land to our place. But Sihon did not trust his pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people and encamped at Yahaz and fought with Israel. And the Lord, the God of Israel, handed Sidon and all his people over to Israel, and they defeated them. So Israel took possession of all the land of the Amorites, 
the, the inhabitants of that country. So they possessed all the territory of the Amorites, from the Arnon as far as the Yabok, and from the wilderness as far as the Jordan. Now, now the Lord, the God of Israel, has driven out the Amorites from his people Israel. So should you possess it? Do you not possess Chemosh? Excuse me, do you not possess Chemosh your God gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord our God has dispossessed before us, we will possess it. Now then, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab? Did he ever contend with Israel or did he ever fight against them? While Israel was living in Heshbon and its villages and in Aror and its villages, and in the cities on the banks of the Arnon, 300 years. Why did you not recover them within that time? So I have, sin- I have not sinned against you. But you are doing me wrong in war against me. May the Lord, the judge, judge today between the sons of Israel and the sons of Ammon. But the king of the sons disregarded the message which Jephthah sent them sent him. Now, now the Spirit of the Lord on Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh. Then he passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead, he went on to the sons of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed hand over to me the sons of Ammon, then whatever comes ours out the doors of my house to meet me when I return safely from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over the uh, to the sons of Ammon to, the, to fight against them, and the Lord handed them over to him, and he inflicted a very great defeat on them from the Aror to the entrance of Minith. Twenty cities, as far as Abel, Karamim. So the sons of Ammon were subdued before the sons of Israel. But Jephthah came to his house at, at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter was to him with tambourines and with dancing. And, at, and, and she was his one and only child. Besides her, he had no son or daughter. So when he saw her, He tore his clothes and said, Oh, my daughter, you have brought me disaster. And you are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord. I cannot take it back. So she said to him, My father, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you have said, since the Lord has brought you vengeance on your enemies, the sons of Ammon. Very humble young lady, isn't it? Very humble young lady. Almost reminds me of Mary, the mother of Yeshua. Be unto me as, as your word says, Lord. Verse 37, And she said to her father, "This Let this thing be done for me. Allow me two months, so that I may go to the mountains and weep because of my virginity, I and my friends. Then he said, Go. So he let her go for two months, and she left with her friends. 
and wept on the mountains because of her virginity. And at the end of two months, she returned to her father, who didn't who who did to her what he had vowed, and she had no relationship with the man. And it was a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went annually to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite for four days in the year. Chapter 12. Now the men of Ephraim were summoned, and they crossed to Zaphon. And they said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the sons of Ammon without calling us to go to go with you? We will burn your house down on you. So Jephthah said to them, I and my people were in major dispute with the sons of Ammon. And I did call you, but you did not save me from their hand. When I saw that you were that you were no deliverer, I took my life in my in my hands and passed over against the sons of Ammon, and the Lord handed them over to me. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought Ephraim. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim because they said, You are survivors of Ephraim, you Gileadites, in the midst of Ephraim, in the midst of Manasseh. And the the Gileadites took control of the crossing places of the Jordan opposite Ephraim. And it happened whenever any of the survivors of Ephraim said, Let me cross over, that the men of Gilead would say to him, Are you an Ephraimite? If he said no, then they would say to him, just say Shibboleth. But he said Sibboleth, for he was not prepared to pronounce it correctly. Not prepared in the um, footnotes, able to, able to. Some Hebrew manuscripts read able to. He was not able to pronounce it correctly. Pronounce it, speak it. And they seized him and slaughtered him at the crossing places of the Jordan. So at that time, 42,000 from Ephraim fell. Let me just stop here for a second, because this this is a a point, and this is something a lot of people don't think about. This is evidence that different people from different tribes had different dialects, not dialects, but different accents. So. You know, we got Ephraimites. He, they were not able to pronounce Shibboleth properly. It would say Sibboleth. So what's my point? My point is, a lot of people are really, really hung up on the exact way. And it, it's it's an awesome thought, and I'm I'm totally with you know I'm totally I'm totally on board on you know trying to. Uh, ascertain what the actual pronunciation of the, you know, the four-letter name of God is, or the the actual the real pronunciation of the name of Jesus was. Um, these kind of things. This is this is evidence that different, even within the children of Israel themselves, there were different different ways of pronouncing things. So. Who knows? 
exactly how some of these names were pronounced. And really, to be honest with you, it really is not a big deal. Because a name is not in how you pronounce it. A name is in the meaning of the name. What it means. And the person that the name refers to. That's what it really means. It's like, it's not how you actually, it's not about what you can do with your lips and your tongue. It's about what that name, what that, it's about the person really in spirit and in truth. For example, the four letter name of God, regardless of how it was pronounced, Yahuwah, Yahweh, all different kinds of ways that people come up with that they believe that it was pronounced. Regardless of the fact, the meaning of the name is what matters. The meaning of that name is, you know, he who is and was and is to come. The eternal one. That's the meaning of the name. So next time someone asks you a question about, or next time someone would jump down your throat about your the exact pronunciation of something, I would I would challenge them and say, how would how do you really, really know? I mean, show me really good convincing evidence exactly how it was phonetically pronounced, like the phonetics of every single ancient Hebrew name. Um, Because here we got one name that was pronounced two different ways. It's the same name, just pronounced different different names, Shibboleth and Sibboleth. Verse 7, Jephthah Jephthah judged Israel for six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in one of the cities of Gilead. Now, Ibzon of Bethlehem judged Israel after him. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters whom he gave in marriage outside the family. And he brought in 30 daughters from outside for his sons. He judged Israel for seven years. When Ibzon died, excuse me, then Ibzon died and was buried in Bethlehem. Now, Elon, the Zebulonite, judged Israel after him. He judged Israel for 10 years. Then Elon, the Zebulonite, died and was buried in, at Aiyalon in the land of Zebulun. Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirathonite, judged Israel after him. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys, and he judged Israel for eight years. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirathonite, died and was buried in Pirathon, in the land of Ephraim, in the hill country of the Amalekites. Now we're getting into the pretext of the life of Samson. Judges chapter 13. By the way, if there's any of you that know of anybody that you'd like to join us in the live chat or even watching with you, send them a message. Let them know. Just say, hey, you know, check this live stream out. Share, share a link. Judges chapter 13, verse 1. Now the sons of Israel again did evil, again, 
how many times we should keep a tally how many times in the, just in the fir- just in the first 13 chapters of judges the sons of israel again did evil in the sight of the lord and the lord handed them over to the philistines for 40 years as always here we go again around and around we go and there was a man of zorah of the family of the danites whose name was manoah Mm-mm-mm. here we go now this is getting yeah, okay. And his wife was infertile and had not given birth to any children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, now you are infertile and have not given birth, but you will conceive and give birth to a son. And now be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, or eat any unclean thing. Now, this word unclean, ritually unclean, okay? It's not talking about pigs and shellfish here, okay? It's talking about ritually unclean things. For behold, you will receive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And we'll begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Okay. okay, let's stop here for a second and let us go over to Numbers. And this is what I was talking about. This is what, what I was referring to earlier, that the story, in order to understand Samson, the life of Samson, what God did in his life, his strength, the miracles that happened through him, in order to understand that, you must understand the Nazarite vow. You must understand the Nazarite vow. You'll find the Nazarite vow in Numbers chapter 6. And just as a preface, let me just let me just say this. In the Word of God, you have different levels of um, obedience, right? You have people that don't obey at all, right? They're basic, they're they're out of the picture. They're gone. They're out. You know, they're they're on the outside. Then you got people who obey God, right? They do everything that God wants them to do. They are, today you might call them Torah observance or, you know, that they, they, uh, they fulfill the mitzvot, right? They fulfill the commandments and that's good. They're all good. They're, they're, they're good. Okay. They obtain life. They obtain favor from the Lord. God's happy with them. Beautiful. Everything's fine and dandy. Then you have another level, a higher level of obedience, and that is taking the vow, the vow of the Nazarite. For the most part, this vow is optional. There are some people throughout Scripture that is it's mandatory. Samson is one. Right. Uh, when the angel was speaking to uh, Samson's mother, there, um, the angel didn't give her a choice. Okay, it was a command. He is a Nazarite unto God. You're not. To, you're not supposed to, you know, do any of this stuff. A razor should not come come upon his head. You should not drink wine. You should not, you know, all these all these different stipulations that we just read. We know that that's the case in the life of Samson. We know that was the case in the life of John the Baptist as well. I personally believe, okay, I know we don't have explicit evidence of this. I mean, we do have evidence of it, I do believe, but it's not spelt out for us explicitly 
But I personally believe that Yeshua himself was under the Nazarite vow for, for, many, for many different reasons. Um, his appearance, historically speaking, according to historical documents, he had longer hair, okay? Why, and according to the letters of Paul, if a man had long hair, it wasn't, wasn't I mean, it was looked down upon. It, it was frowned upon unless he's a Nazarite. Unless he's a Nazarite, because if you're a Nazarite, that's part of the that's part of the vow. That's part of the law of God. The fact that Yeshua did not drink of the fruit of the vine at the Last Supper, so to speak, is another clue. Uh, he ate fish. There's no there's no evidence of him eating any meat. He didn't eat lamb at the Last Supper either. He didn't he didn't eat any meat other than fish. That's another clue of being a Nazarite. Just as a side note, okay, um, Hegesippus, one of the um, historical writers in the second century, way back then, um, he confirmed that James, one of the disciples of, of Jesus, right? Again, James, Peter, James, and John, right? James, um, he was under the Nazarite vow. So he long hair. He didn't eat any meat. Um, he didn't drink any grape juice or wine or any of this kind of thing. And so, and it, he was called James the Just. He was like the holiest man apart from Yeshua that lived according to Hegesippus. He, he alone, Hegesippus said, was, was allowed into the temple, into the holy place, I should say, the holy, the holy or the holy of holies. He, he alone was allowed in there. Like that says a lot. He's a Christian, quote unquote Christian, depending on how you want to define the, the term Christian. But there we have several people throughout the, throughout the Tanakh that it is very clear they were under the Nazarite vow. And we have a few people, Samson, John the Baptist. It's clear that it was mandatory for them to be under the Nazarite vow all of their life. They were not to break that vow. And again, I believe that Yeshua was part of that as well. That's why he said, I can't drink the fruit, the fruit of the vine right now, but later on, you know, in the next life, so to speak, because after his death, of course, you know, we got the, the, vow, the vow would not be applicable then. But let's read about the, the Nazarite vow, because it's important to understand what the stipulations are. So the idea is... In the optional crowd, which is pretty much everybody else, you can you can observe the Torah, you can observe the mitzvot. Again, you're good. You're all good to go if you want to do that. Optional for most people, optional is the Nazarite vow. The idea is, hey, I want the extra. I just want to go the extra mile here. I just want. I just want to supercharge, turbo boost my walk with God and my obedience to His commandments. And that's how you did it. You took the vow. So you got all you got people that obeyed the, the Torah. You got people that obeyed the Torah perfectly, according to the law of God, according to the word of God. But then you got people say, hey, I want to do more. I want to do more. They take the vow. That's the reason why in Acts chapter 21, excuse me. That's the reason why. They used the vow. Excuse me. They used the vow 
to prove uh, – let me just back up. They suggested or they said that Paul, the apostle Paul, is to take the vow – as the ultimate proof that he is not speaking against the Torah. Because Acts chapter 21 is like, hey, Paul, there's a problem with you. Uh, there's a problem. At least there's a problem. We've heard rumor that you, you are teaching people against Moses, against the Torah, against the, against the books of Moses, against the Torah of Moses, the law of Moses, and against the, the traditions of the elders and the Jews. Is that true, Paul? You know, in context, Paul's like, well, I didn't really mean that kind of thing. It's like, okay, Paul, if you didn't really mean that, take the vow. And the vow was not just hard to do, but it was expensive. Because you have to buy all these different things. You have to buy the the animals and and the grain and the offerings, which was very expensive. So when they told Paul, okay, Paul, like in... Acts chapter 21, James, Peter, and the elders of the church are like, okay, Paul, you really mean, you really think, okay, you really want, you said that you're not teaching against Torah. Prove it. Take the vow. Go, go turbo boost, okay, on Torah, okay? Take the vow. And not just for yourself. We don't want you to pay just for yourself, but also for four other men. Super expensive. I don't know how much money Paul had, but he may have had to break the bank for it. I don't know. Like today, it would have been probably tens of thousands of dollars. Just guessing. Way over 10000 anyway. It would cost to, to take the vow as it is prescribed in Numbers chapter 6. So let's read this. Numbers chapter 6, talking about the vow. And by the way, Um, like the Nazarite vow for those who are like for those who opt into it optionally, you can take it for any amount of time. Traditionally speaking, in the Jewish world, it's like at least a month, but that's not spelled out for, for us here in the scriptures. It doesn't really tell us how long. It's just like when you take the vow, this is what's expected of you, period. And when it's over, this is what you're supposed to do. When the vow is up, when it expires, so to speak, this is what you're supposed to do. That's all it says here. It doesn't tell us what the minimum required length of time, the minimum duration or the maximum duration. It doesn't tell us any of that stuff. Now, of course, again, in the life of Samson or John the Baptist, there was no maximum duration. It was their life from conception till death. Okay, So, So that's it. The law of the Nazarites, it's also called as the the Nazarite vow, Numbers chapter 6, verse 1. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when a man or woman takes a special vow, in the footnotes, an extraordinary vow. Again, this is extraordinary. Why is it extraordinary? Because it's extraordinary commands. They are not just committing to obeying all the commands that apply to them in the Torah, but rather Above, up, over and above that. It's an extraordinary vow. Namely, the vow of the Nazarites. Okay, Nazarite in the um, one who is consecrated to God to live as a Nazarite for the Lord. By the way, why wouldn't, by the way, why wouldn't Yeshua take the Nazarite vow? Because the Nazarite vow is basically, you know, one 
consecrated to, to God. Like there, it's an extra level of consecration. Why wouldn't he do it? I mean, that's just a little side note there. But The vow of the Nazarite, one that's consecrated to God, to live as a Nazarite before the Lord, for the Lord. He shall abstain from wine and strong drink. Well, you know, Yeshua didn't drink any, uh, you know, especially in the, the um, Last Supper, of course. And, you know, somebody might say, well, you know, it says that he was a wine bibber and a friend of sinners. Um, excuse me. Uh, we dealt with this. I, actually, I talked about this in, years ago when I did the video on, the, on all of those Gospels. That was, an, like, that was an accusation against him. Pharisees. Um, why do a lot of Christians believe it? Why do they believe it? That was an accusation. So the, someone who is under the, 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 the Nazarite vow, one who especially has an extra consecration vow to God, they are to abstain from wine and strong drink, strong drink here in the footnotes, meaning uh, literally other alcoholic drink. Okay. He shall consume or drink no vinegar. Why is it that? Because vinegar was produced in those days by um, wine, basically, or by other uh, alcoholic means, right? Vinegar is basically, nat naturally produced is, is, is a form of, it comes from fermentation. When you have um, some beverage or liquid that is fermenting and it is open to the air, it, produce, it produces vinegar. If it's not open, but rather sealed, it produces alcoholic beverage. So the vinegar is speaking about um, the, uh, it's basically uh, another form. It's almost like alcoholic, but it's not alcoholic. And it can also be made by wine from grapes as well. Whether made from wine or strong drink, nor shall he drink any grape juice or eat fresh or dried grapes. That's raisins. All the days of his consecration shall he not eat anything that is produced from the grapevine, from the seeds, even to the skin. Nothing from the grape. Now, let me just say this. Why would God put that stipulation in the Nazarite vow? We see in other portions of scripture that grapes are symbolic of people, per se. And when you crush a grape, or the, the grape juice is symbolic of blood, okay? When Yeshua comes back to execute judgment upon this world, and the great, great, day, the great final war breaks out, it says basically, it's like... The Lord is going to be ampling the wine press of his fury, and the blood is going to be um, basically grape juice is a, is a picture of blood. That's the reason why that's the reason why Yeshua used grape juice in the light. He said, "This is this is the blood. This is my blood." You know. Um, so why would it be in the Nazarite vow? Because it's 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 a it's a symbol of war or some kind of violence and when people are people are done away with okay um so the nazarite is to in saying that the nazarite is supposed to be 
a person who does not consume grapes or any any kind of product from the grapevine, like any kind, not even the seed of grapes or the skin of grapes or the grape juice or wine or even vinegar that's made from the wine, nothing like that. So that is really just a, a symbol or a picture of uh, an analogy of saying the person who takes the Nazarite vow is to be a man or a woman of peace, great peace. We see that David, King David, he could not build the temple because of the wars that he was involved in. But Solomon could. Solomon actually means peace. The word Solomon is a variation of the word shalom, which means peace. So the vow of the Nazarite is a vow of peace. Demonstrated by vowing not to drink of the grape juice or wine or alcoholic drink or vinegar, anything like this. Nothing like that at all. Verse 5, and the day's vow of consecration, no razor shall pass over his head. So he's supposed to let his hair grow. He shall be holy until the days are fulfilled. Okay, again, this is optional. Sometimes it'd be, it's a, traditionally speaking today in Judaism, it would be a month, at least a month. Um, in the life of John the Baptist or Samson and Ibu himself, you know, that's something that we can debate. But um, in, the, in some of these other men, that it was mandatory for them for them to be under the Nazarite vow all of their life, it would never actually be fulfilled because it would be lifelong. But those who do opt into it, uh, he shall be holy until the days are fulfilled. Again, why wouldn't Yeshua take this vow? Why wouldn't Yeshua be holy? He shall be holy until the days of are fulfilled, which he lives as a Nazarite for the Lord. He shall let the locks of his hair, of his hair on his head grow long. We know that traditionally speaking, Samson, well, no, actually, uh, in the scripture, Samson had long hair. We know, um, historically speaking, John the Baptist had long hair, and Yeshua had long hair. All the days of his life as a Nazarite for the Lord, he shall not come up to a dead person. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother or for his brother or for his sister when they die because of his consecration to God on his head. All the days of his consecration, he is holy to the Lord. But if someone dies very suddenly beside him and he defiles his consecration, consecrated head of hair, then he shall shave his head on the day when he becomes clean. He shall say he shall save it, or excuse me, shave it on the seventh day. Then on the eighth day, he shall bring two turtle doves or two young, two young doves to the priest to the entrance of the tent. Of meeting and the priest shall for one is a sin offering and the other is a burnt offering and make atonement for him regarding his sin because of the dead person. And on the same day he shall consecrate his head and shall live his days of consecration as a Nazarite for the for the Lord and he shall bring a male lamb a year old as a guilt offering. By the way, do you remember when Paul um, vowed the vow of the Nazarite in Acts chapter twenty one with the. Uh, with, with the 
advice and the oversight of James and Peter and all the elders of the church. This involved, it involved people, it involved animal sacrifices. Yes, it did. After the cross. Yes, it did. They actually believed in animal sacrifices after the cross in spite of today's modern Christian narrative against it. Anyway, but the preceding days will not count because his consecration was defiled. In other words, he's got to start from start fresh. Now, this is the law of the Nazarite when, his, when the days of his consecration are fulfilled. He shall bring his offering, again, this is what's spoken of in Acts chapter 21, to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and he shall present his offering to the Lord. One male lamb, a year old, without defect, as a burnt offering. Again, this would be very expensive. This would be very expensive for Paul to do for himself, let alone everybody else, because one male lamb without defect and one ewe lamb a year old without defect as a sin offering and one ram without defect as a peace offering. Okay, so that's three, three expensive animals just for one person. Multiply that by five because there was Paul and four others in Acts chapter 21. 15 animals. And each animal is expensive. Like today, it's like thousands and thousands of dollars a piece. Besides the animals, a basket of unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil and unleavened wafers spread with oil, along with their grain offering and their drink offering. Then the priest shall present them before the Lord and his and his and offer, excuse me, his sin offering and his burnt offering. He shall offer, excuse me, he shall also offer the ram as a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, together with the basket of unleavened bread, the priest shall also offer its grain offering and its drink offering. The Nazarite shall then shave his consecrated head of hair at the entrance of the tent of meeting and take the consecrated head of his hair and put it on the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offerings. And the priest shall take the ram's shoulder when it has been boiled and one unleavened loaf from the basket basket and one unleavened wafer and shall put them on the hands of the Nazarite shaved his consecrated hair. Then the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. It is holy for the priest together with the, the beast offered as a wave offering and the thigh off, offered as a contribution. And afterward, the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the, the, law of the Nazarite who vows his offering to the Lord according to his consecration, in addition to what else he can afford, corresponding to his vow, which he makes. So he shall do according to the law of his consecration. Okay, so quickly. Um, the stipulations. The stipulations is he's not supposed to eat, have any kind of wine or, or, or alcoholic drink or any vinegar made thereof. Nothing from the grape, no product, no pr product of the grape at all, be it skin or seeds. Um, he shall not cut his hair. Let his hair grow long. Okay, so let's go back to Judges chapter thirteen. So this is what it was talk. The angel spoke uh, spoke of when when she. Uh, when he, excuse me, the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman uh, and said, Behold, you are infertile and have not given birth, but you will, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And now be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. 
For behold, you will, you, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he will begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me. A man. Look at how she put it. The angel she called a man. A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of, of, of the angel of God. Very awesome. So I did not ask him where he came from. Did he tell me his name? But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. And now you shall not drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah pleaded with the Lord and said, Lord, please let the man of God whom you have sent come to us again so that he may teach us what we are to do for the boy who is to be born. And God listened to the voice, and the angel of God came again to the, to the woman sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman hurried and ran and told her husband, Behold, the man who came the other day has appeared to me. So Manoah, so Manoah got up and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to the woman? And he said, I am. Then Manoah said, Now when your words are fulfilled, what shall the boy's way of life, what shall be the boy's way of life and his vocation? The Lord said to Manoah, The woman shall pay attention to all that I said. She shall not eat anything that comes from the from the vine, or drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any any unclean thing. She shall keep all that I commanded. Now, just out of curiosity, before I get go further here, um, let's look at other Bible translations uh, for that passage where it says, "Nor eat any unclean thing." So this is Judges uh, chapter 13, verse 14. So the KJV and the NKJV says, don't eat anything unclean. NLT does not, and just says, don't eat any forbidden food. NIV says anything unclean. Same with ESV and CSB. NASB, of course, does say that. NET says it actually is a little bit more uh, better translated here, saying ritually unclean. Okay, so everything else says basically don't eat anything unclean. Verse 15, uh, this is Judges 13, verse 15 says, Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you so, we can, so, so that we may prepare a young goat for you. But the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words are fulfilled, we may honor you. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name? For it is wonderful 
in the footnotes. It is incomprehensible. Notice, again, we're talking about names earlier. We're talking about names earlier. Notice, it's not about the way you pronounce it. It's about what it means. What, what's, what's the meaning behind that name? So when Manoah asked the angel of the Lord, what's your name? He said, it's incomprehensible. It's not about phonetic sounds. It's not about how you can make sounds with your lips and your tongue. It's about what that, what's actually behind that name, the spirit behind that, the meaning behind that name and the person behind that name. That's what it's all about. Verse 19, so Manoah took the young goat along with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord. And he performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Now the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, we will certainly die, for we have seen God. Again, again. Look at how closely related we have. We have angel. The angel it says Manoah. Manoah knew that the angel that what he that who he saw was the angel of the Lord. He knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And what did he say? The angel of the Lord was God. Here it says. We will certainly die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord has had desired to kill us, again, I mean, we see this all the way through the scriptures, by the way. See, we, we have God and the Lord are used interchangeably. Okay. Again, going over here to uh, looking at the interlinear. Verse 22, in regards to the word God, Elohim, Elohim, the Hebrew Elohim right here. So what Manoah said here is, we have seen Elohim. His wife said, if Yahuwah or Yahweh, if the Lord, Y-H-W-H, had desired to kill us, because you can see how Manoah, and we see this as well in, in the life of Abraham as well and, and throughout, throughout the Tanakh, actually. It's used interchangeably here. The Lord is more of a closer, like a, um, come on. It, it's a name that denotes more of, a, more of a closer relationship, whereas God is, like Elohim denotes more of, um, of a distant Distance, distant relationship. You know that, you know, Yahuwah, um, excuse me, not Yahuwah, um, Yeshua, uh, Jesus on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, he became sin on the cross, as it says. And so because he became sin on the cross, he couldn't say father anymore. 
he could not say father anymore um, because had transformed into, in his own words, according to the Gospel of John chapter three, he had transformed. He had transformed basically, at least spiritually speaking, spiritually into a serpent. Um, as it said, he himself said, as Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole, so I will be lifted up, crucified, basically. Um, he likened himself unto a serpent. So when God departed from, when his father departed from him, he be, all of a sudden it wasn't father anymore because father is a really close relationship, right? All of a sudden it's more like a distance. It's like a sinner to God. It's a sinner relationship. It's like distant. God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No more father. No more father. So in the same way, Manoah here said, why for we have seen God because he took the position of us like like wow we like almost like a sinner's position like distance but then his wife is like no if the Lord right um so she had more of a, a viewpoint of of God being closer more of a more of that kind of a viewpoint not like Abraham with God but more like Moses with the Lord right as we as we read before that it's it says uh, the lord said i was revealed as god to abraham but his word because it's a little bit more of a closer relationship the way she speaks here if the lord had desired to kill us he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands good point good point good point because as you see it says in the scriptures that The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. So if the wicked, in because Manoah here kind of took the position of, hey, we're wicked, like we've seen God, you know, God is, you know, the the person of Yod Hey Wow Hey in his eye is, is not. It's like he's like distant, whereas his closer. If the Lord would have. Desired to kill us, he would he would not have accepted a burnt offering, a great offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have let us hear these things, like things like this at the at this time. So the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the son in the child grew up, and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him when he was in. Mahane Dan. Mahane Dan literally means the camp of Dan. Between Zorah and Eshtayal. Judges chapter 14. Then Samson went down to Timna, and he saw a woman in Timna, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Uh, Shouldn't be messing around with that there, Samson. Verse 2. So he he came back and told his father and mothers, I saw a woman in Timna, one of the daughters of the Philistines, so now get her for me as a wife. But his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you should take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Yet Samson said to his father, Get her for me. 
become right for me. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, again, in the, in the um, footnote, it's right in my eyes. And then she, she looks good to me. Get her for me. Basically, that's what it means. Verse four. However, his father did not know that this was of the Lord. How would that be of the Lord? For a second. How would that be of the Lord? We're going to read about that a little bit later. For he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. And at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. Then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother as far as the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion roaring toward him. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, so they tore it apart as one tears apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he, had, he did not tell his father or what he had done. So he went down and talked to the woman, and she looked pleasing to Samson. Again, in the footnotes here, she was in Samson's eyes, in Samson's eyes, that is. She was right. Looks good to me, says Samson. When he later, when he returned later to take her, he turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he took out, he took out the honey on his hands and, and went on, eating as he went. When he came to his father, and mother, he gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he took the honey out of the body of the lion. Why did he not tell them that? Why did he not tell them that? Because that would certainly not be clean, according to the Torah. Okay, You're not supposed to be handling these carcasses, especially eating out of them. So that's one strike against Samson right there. One strike against him. Verse 10. Then his father went down to the woman, and Samson held a feast there for the young men. Uh, for the young men merrily did this, and they brought 30 companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, Let me now propose a riddle for you. If you actually tell me the answer within seven days of the, then I will give you 30 linen wraps and 30 outfits of clothes. But if you are unable to tell me, then you shall, you shall give me 30 linen wraps and 30 outfits of clothes. And they said to him, propose your riddle so that we may hear it. So he said, out of the came something to eat. Out of the song, came something sweet. And they could not tell the answer to the riddle in three days. Then it came about on the fourth day that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband so that, we will so that he will tell us the riddle or we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us to impoverish, impoverish us? Is this not so? His wife wept in front of him and said, 
you only hate me and you do not love me. You have proposed a riddle to the sons of my people, my people, and have not me. And he said, he said to her, Behold, I have not told it to my father or mother. Should I tell it to you? However, she wept before him for seven days. Oh, yeah, boy. While the feast lasted. In other words, in, in the context of, a, of when she should have been joyful, she was weeping before him for seven days. Very dramatic. A lot of drama there and a lot of uh, persistence and consistency. And on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him so hard. She then told the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have out my riddle. Well, he called Deborah, excuse me, he called Delilah heifer here. Then the Spirit of the Lord upon him, and he went, went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 men of them and took what they were wearing and gave the outfits of clothes who told the riddle. And his anger burned, and he went up to his father's house. But his wife was given to his com, uh, companion who had been his friend. Judges chapter 15. But after a while, in the time of wheat harvest, Samson visited his wife with a young goat and said, I will go into my room. But her father did not let, her, let him enter. Her father said, I really thought that you hated her intensely, so I gave her to your companion. Is her younger sister not more beautiful than she? Let her be yours instead. Samson then said to them, This time I've been blameless regarding the when I told them when I do them harm. And Samson went and caught three hundred jackals and took torch and turned the jackals tail uh, jackals tail to tail. Now they tied their tails together basically, and put one torch in the middle between two tails. When he set fire to the torches, he released the jackals into the standing grain of the Philistines and set both the bundled heaps and the standing grain, along with the vineyard, all of the groves. Then the Philistines, who, uh, who did this? And some said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnites, because he took his wife and gave her to his comp companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father to death with fire. Then Samson said to them, If this is how you act, and only after that will I stop. So he struck them ruthlessly with a great slaughter, and afterward he went down and lived in the, in the cleft of the rock at Atom. Philistines went up and camped in Judah and spread out Lahi. Judah said, why have you come up against us? And they said, we have come up to bind Samson in order to do to him as he did to us. Then thousand men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Atom 
and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are ruling us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to, he said to them, Just as they did to me, so to them. Then they said, We have come down to bind you, so they hand you over to the Philistines. And Sam, swear to me that you will not kill me. So they said to him, Oh, but we will bind you tightly and give you into their hands. But we certainly will kill you. Then they bound new ropes. With new ropes. And brought him up from the... When he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted as they met him. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him so that the ropes that were on his arms were flax that has burned with fire and his restraints dropped from his hands for a second to bring to your attention you notice it says that he got his strength from the spirit of the Lord every time here it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him it wasn't something that had naturally it wasn't strength that he had naturally it was strength that he had supernaturally by the spirit of the Lord and we see this over and over again Verse 15, then he, he, then he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. So he reached out with his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. In the footnotes, literally melted, melted, mincemeat, a thousand men with it. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. Again. And in the, in the footnotes here, it says heap, two heaps, is same root as donkey. Heap, 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 two heaps, or heap upon, heaps upon heaps with a jawbone of a donkey. Killed a thousand men. I have struck a thousand men. When he had finished speaking, he threw the, jaw, the jawbone from his hand and named that place Ramathi, which means literally the place of the jawbone. Then he became very thirsty and he, and he called to the Lord and said, you have handed this great victory over to your servant and now I am to die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. But God split the hollow place in Lehi so that the water so that water came out of it. When he drank, his strength returned and he revived. Therefore he named it Ahakor. He to this day. So he judged Israel for twenty years of the Philistines. Judges chapter sixteen. Samson's weakness. Now here we will get into the secret of his strength and what that has to do with his hair. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a prostitute there and had relations with her. When, he, when it was reported to the Gazites, the Gazites, saying, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait all night at the gate of the city. And they kept silent all night saying, let's wait until, more, until the morning light. Then we will kill him. 
Now Samson lay asleep until midnight. And at midnight, he got up and took hold of the doors of the sea gate and the two doorposts and pulled them up along with the bars. Then he put them on his shoulders, carried them up to the top of the mountain, which is opposite Hay. It came about that he was with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. So the governor's Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and see where great strength lies and how he can empower him. Excuse me, and how we can empower him so that we may bind him to humble him. Then we, then we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said, tell me where your great strength lies and how you can be bind, excuse me, how you can be bound to humble you. And by what you can be bound to humble you. And Samson said to her, if they fresh animal tendons, that that have not been dried, then I will become weak and be like any other man. Then the governors of the Philistines brought up to her seven animal tendons that had not been dried, and she bound him with, with them. Now she, now she had prepared for an ambush in an inner room. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he tore the tendons to pieces just like a, a thread of flax is torn up when it comes too close to the fire. So his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have toyed with me and told me lies. Tell me how you may be bound. Then he said to her, If they bind me to new ropes, which have not been used, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound, bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you. For the men in the ambush were waiting in the inner room, but he tore the ropes from his arms like thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Up to now you have been toyed, you have toyed with me and told me lies how you may be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my hair with the web and fasten it with the pin, then I will be weak like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah wove the seven locks of his hair with with the web, and she fashioned it, fashioned, fastened it, excuse me, with the pin, and said to him, "The Philistines are upon you, Samson." But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the pin and of the loom and the web. Then she said, "How can you, when your heart is not with me? You have toyed with me these three times and have not told told me." Where your your great strength is, and it came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. In the footnotes, patient to the point of death. So he told her all his heart and said to her, "Array." 
Razor has never come out. What? This sounds familiar, doesn't it? This sounds familiar. This is referring to the Nazarite vow. This is referring. This is referring to the stipulations of being a Nazarite, as per Numbers chapter six. A razor has never has never come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God for my womb. If I am saved, then my strength will leave me, and and I will become weak and be like any other man. Notice, unlike many sun teachers. Unlike what Sunday school teachers would say to little children to, today, strength of Samson did not lie in his hair. Okay, that's not where his strength was. The strength was being a Nazarite to God. That was his strength. Strength was the Nazarite vow. And basically what Samson was saying is, if you... Strength lies. It's in God, and 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 it comes because of my my position, my relationship with God, which is a Nazarite. So if you shave my head, I br- that breaks the vow. The vow then is is rendered null and void. Therefore, I'm not consecrated to God to, as a Nazarite anymore. Therefore, the blessings of the strength, the supernatural strength that I have by the Spirit of God will be limited because the blessings of the Nazareth, because I would the Nazarite vow would be broken and I'd become, that would be a transgression against the Nazarite vow. That would be a transgression against the Torah as per Numbers chapter 6. That would make me a transgressor, a sinner, and God would say, see you later, and that, there goes his strength. That is where it's all at. It wasn't in his hair in and of itself. It was in God because of the Nazarite vow. And when he broke that vow, when the vow was, was broken, then God left him. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent word and called the governors of the Philistines, come up once more, for he has told all that is in his heart. Then the governors of the Philistines came up to her and brought up the money, um, the money in their hands, and she made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to humble him, and his strength left him. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. That's where strength came from. And the Lord departed from us of the breach of the vow. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. Now, in a few days, Lord willing, we will read about the reason why they did this. Because we, it's, it talks about this whole thing in the, in the, um, 
Legends of the Jews. So Lord willing, on Thursday, we um, we'll dive into the legends of the Jews in ring. If not on Thursday, maybe maybe sometime later on. Within you know, it won't be it won't be long. Hopefully, shortly. I'm thinking Thursday, perhaps if not, even, uh, you know, a little bit after that. So the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. Okay, we'll find out why in a few days. And and they brought they brought him down to Gaza and restrained him with bronze chains, and he became a grinder in the prison. In other words, they treated him like a an animal, like an ox, tied and put him to the grindstone. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. Now the governors of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god. Dagon, uh, by the way, Dag, 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 D-A-G, pronounced as Dog in Hebrew means the whole thing. Uh, Dagon would have been an idol, um, a fish idol. And to celebrate, okay, so the, again, the, the governors of the Philistines assembled to, to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, for they said, our God has handed Samson, our enemy, over to us. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has handed our enemy over to us, even the destroyer of our country, who has killed many of us. It so happened when they were in high spirits that they said, Call for Samson, that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he entertained them. And they made him stand between pillars. Then Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, so I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. And all the governors of the Philistines were there. And about 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking, looking on while Samson was entertaining them. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Lord God, again, the, word, the God here is the W, um, Yud Hey Wow Hey, W H Y H W H, excuse me, usually rendered Lord, usually rendered Lord, but it's capital G, capital O, capital D, as in this instance. So, the, uh, so Samson called to the Lord and said, Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may once at once take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson grasped the middle pillars on which the house rested and braced himself against them, the one with his right hand and the other with his left. And Samson said, let me die, Philistines. In the footnotes, it is, let my soul, let my soul die with the Philistines. And he pushed outward powerfully so that the house fell on the governors and all the people who were in it. And the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his lifetime. Then his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and 
buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of his father Manoah. So he had judged Israel for 20 years. In our next portion will be Judges chapter 17, Mika's idolatry. idolatry. So once again, I'm going to check your questions and your comments here. Um, and just in case, I'm sorry, I'm not sure how many is here. But I mean, just a rem- reminder, if you have a special comment or question that you want to Directed specifically to me, and you want to, to stand me, you don't want me to miss it, just put at Christopher on the comment. Okay, so. The Great Deception says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, brother. Good to see you. Welcome. Vinny says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, welcome. Very, very interesting. Very good observation. This is a very interesting concept, one John. Uh, was their first king today, Saul or Saul, Paul, that would be, over, over the Christians. Isn't that something? I never saw it way before. That's amazing. Kanda says typology connected with Zerubbabel. Types of Christ, Zerubbabel and Zechariah 4, verses 7 to 9, Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. Yes, and I, I, I also echo one John Honda. Hello and welcome back. Yes, <laughs> welcome back. Shalom. Honda says, uh, hello, good evening. Glad to be back. I'd love to study. I- I do love to study his word. Awesome. Khanda says this is this is this part is code for seeking to rule the world with Endor. Christina says strong woman. I thought millstones weighed a ton. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, for sure. From as far as I understand, like even today, I don't know if a man could pick up a, a millstone. Good analogy there, or I should say parallel there, uh, Christina and the Philistines and and the horrible Holocaust. That, the Holocaust, I should say, a Holocaust. It pretty much is a Holocaust. Uh, Holocaust that we are going through these days with the children. Um, Jordan says, Amen, brother. Obeying Yah means more than what you call. Yeah, exactly. It kind of sometimes, you know, I find it, I find it somewhat grievous that some people, and I get it, like I said before, I understand the whole drive to refine the original pronunciation of the name of Yeshua or Yahuwah. Um, and all that kind of thing. And I, I, I'm, I'm very interested in it myself. Um, but just being as like being really honest, like be real, like being honest about it. I don't know if I could really say that anybody could really say for sure exactly how it was pronounced. 
Shibboleth versus Sibboleth. That's 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 evidence right? in Judges um, that different, even different tribes of children of Israel pronounce things different ways. And so, how how, how picky do you want to get? Really, that's basically what it's all about. Imon, Imon says, Salam, everyone. Salam. Good to see you. Uh, it says, do not drink wine. You mean alcohol? Yeah, wine or alcohol. How about pig? Yeah, totally no no pig at all. No pork. As I echo what Jeff says, no pork ever. Amen. Jeff says, it's bad for you as uh, besides being in the Torah. Yes. Apple cider vinegar. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 a good example of vinegar that's made natural. It's, at least it's supposed to be made nat through natural means. Cat Cool says Shalom. Shalom, Matthew. Welcome. Good to see you. Christina, this is very interesting. I, I find this very interesting. The only men with short hair would have been those who completed a vow and shaved their heads. That's pretty interesting. Like that. Uh, Paul had, sha had shaved his head in Jerusalem is, what, is why I think he said long hair uh, for men is shameful. It's just so interesting. He would have had, he would have, he would have to have to an explanation for being bald when the apostles were not. Sounds like he just lied to the Corinthians as explanation. I'm good to see you, brother. Uh, praise Yahweh. Hallelujah. Shalom, brothers and sisters. Shalom. Amen to that. Praise Yahweh. Amen. Good to see you. Welcome. Christina says... 30 pieces of silver was an average year's wage, is what I is what my footnotes say. Delilah was looking at nearly 40 years' wages with what with that offer of 1,100 pieces of silver. Wow. That's amazing. Will. Will there be a second? Opportunity to be saved for those who take the first resurrection. So, Revelation chapter 20. Okay, so let's just begin with verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain on his hand. And he, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years again. I just, it intrigues me how one angel. An angel, one angel, one angel, just one, out of bound Satan, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the na the nations no more till a thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed. He must be loosed a little season. And I saw, and they sat. And they sat upon them, and it was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which not worship the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Okay, 
But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in this first resurrection. On such, the second death has no power, but shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Um, just let me let me let me just uh, think that when the thousand years are expired, Satan will be loosed out of his prison, and he sh- and and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four cor- earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. Okay, so, um, so. Uh, again, back to your question. Will there be a second opportunity to be saved for those who do not make the first resurrection? Now, assuming that you speak, it depends on how you define, it depends on how you define saved and what you mean by assuming that you mean that people who have already, like, I mean, let me just put it this way. If you mean that if, People who have already lived and died, if there'd be a second opportunity to be saved after that. So, as as I read and understand the scriptures, once we pass away, once we die, that's it. So that's it. the state in which you die, the state in which you remain. Basically, if you if you die in a state of salvation, you you, or if you're saved when you die, you you remain. Um, you know, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then after that, and then we have the Luke chapter sixteen speaking of once you get, get to your destination, so to speak, you cannot. There's no way of crossing over you know going from what you might again depends on what exactly you mean by saved if you mean you know with the saints and the angels and the patriarchs in heaven heaven so to speak paradise versus the place of torment as we read of in Luke chapter 16 i do not say i don't i, don't, I do not see any extra opportunity there Otherwise, you know, the rich man would have, you know, oh, don't worry, uh, rich, don't worry, you, you, you'll get a second opportunity in, you know, so many things, a second opportunity. Uh, that helps, Will. Thank you for the question. A very, very good question. Will says, uh, by the way, I sent you a friend's request on Facebook, brother. Shalom. Okay, yeah, oh, great. Okay, um, I, I'll, uh, I'll I'll accept that for sure. I'm, you know what? Honestly, I'm never hardly ever on Facebook. Uh, I have all the the posts that are that are made on Facebook is made automatically. I, I don't really, I'm not really that uh, um, active over there, but I do I do go over there. 
Once in a blue moon, to your friend request. Thank you very much for, for sending that. Christina says, why wouldn't the resurrection in Matthew 27 be considered the first? Okay, so let's go over to Matthew 20, 27. Yeah, very good question. Uh, this is talking about when Yeshua died. Uh, Matthew chapter 27, verse 52, in the graves were many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Yeah, very good question. Um, I suppose it, it really, it, it's, it's a matter of definition. Like what does resurrection, I mean, the first resurrection, how do you define that? Like, because we can go all the way back to, I suppose you could even say that Adam was resurrected when a quote unquote deep sleep came upon him. And then the, the, you know, out of his side came the woman and, and then he woke up. That's if, at least figuratively speaking, if not literally speaking of a resurrection, we have the, um, the boy in the, you know, uh, that was resurrected in, um, you know, Elijah, um, Yeah, I mean, there are different resurrections. There was the resurrection of Lazarus. There was the resurrection, excuse me, the resurrection of the uh, the woman's son in the Gospels. It's like, so I guess the, the definition, I guess it'd be like a matter of definition. Like, what are the minimum amount of, of resurrected people be resurrected at one time to be considered to be, quote unquote, the first resurrection? It's a very good question. Um, because resurrection was Adam, or the first resurrection, first resurrection was you know that widow's son in the old the Tanakh. Uh, or the other widow's son uh, in the days of Yeshua, or Lazarus, or Jonah. Uh, you know, I personally believe that Jonah was resurrected in in the in the uh, belly of the fish. The way he spoke was like he actually he actually died. Um, and he was resurrected. So I think there was many, many different times throughout history up until, um, even up until the quote unquote New Testament age where there has been resurrections that happened. So yeah, how do you, how do you, do you excuse me, how do you define the first resurrection? Oh, it's, it's like, actually we can get pretty legal with this, right? It's like, Okay, what is the legally, you know, minimum required uh, number of bodies to be resurrected in order to qualify as the quote-unquote first resurrection? Very good question. That's something we just cannot. I mean, I like to me, I would say I I don't think that Matthew twenty-five could be called the first resurrection. Because we have other people that are that have been resurrected long before that, um, at least on an individual basis, you could say that it was the first court, like group resurrection, maybe. Um, but as defined, as portrayed in the Book of Revelation, chapter twenty. Um, it doesn't appear like that would that would uh, that would qualify as the quote unquote first resurrection. Very good question, though, Christina.
Will says it's it's okay, uh, brother. I, I remember a teaching on that. We'll leave that for another. Okay. Fifty three is the verse. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay, we covered a lot of ground today, didn't we? We covered a lot of ground. Yes, we read, um, what, eight chapters? Actually, more than that. I mean, nine chapters. Nine chapters of the book of Judges and covered the life of Jephthah, covered Gideon, Jephthah, Jephthah's daughter, some of the, the history of some of the judges, uh, and Samson. And his whole thing, right from his birth to death, plus plus more than that. So, yes, uh, awesome. Lots of uh, lots of stuff going. Lots of uh, lots of things here that we spoke about today. Tomorrow evening, same time, same place. We will have, Lord willing, we will have Jordan on. We will have Jordan on. Um, for a little while with us to begin with. Uh, Jordan will be starting, he'll be coming on pretty much immediately after 7 p.m. So if you guys want to catch Jordan, he'll be singing live and I, I suppose we'll be talking about, you know, we'll have, we'll have uh, some fellowship with Jor Jordan and he'll, he has some songs that he wants to sing and he wants to do like a live kind of like a concert for us, uh, you know, even if it's just a few songs. So really looking forward to that. If you guys want to avail yourself of that, um, you know, come on as 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 early as possible. Um, I know that a lot of people come on more around eight o'clock than than seven, but Jordan will be on early. He'll be on just after seven p.m. Eastern time, Eastern. And um, Thursday, Lord willing, we will be getting into the legends of the Jews about many of the things that we've been reading for the past several days. So that will be very interesting. Friday, we'll, we will be getting into um, the book or the, the Gospel of John many times over the past several months. We, you know, I mentioned about we should dedicate a whole live stream to the Gospel of John, not just not reading it so much as analyzing, looking at it from a very objective point of view, because there's a lot of things in there. You guys know, especially you guys that have been listening to these live streams for a long time, you know, there are a lot of people who have questions. And a lot of times these questions always root back to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John than any of the other Gospels. So we're going to talk about all that stuff. We're going to talk about all that stuff um on friday evening saturday i'm not sure if there's going to be somebody else on with me it looks like there, there might be a debate on saturday i'm not sure if it will be or not so it's a possibility uh there might be a, a debate on saturday um that's not the one that I, that I, I, I there's going to be a discussion, more of a discussion with, with another, uh, with another sister, not on Saturday, but on some Sunday after um, we, I still have to actually confirm which Sunday it will be. But that's different. That's a different um, event as well. So lots of uh, things lined up here. So looking forward to it, guys. As always, you guys are awesome. Um, I appreciate your questions, your comments, and your friendship. 
One John 2.26 says, thank you and good night. Thank you very much. One John KMJJ says, great fellowship. Thank you and shalom. Thank you very much. Shalom. Blessings multiplied, you guys. I appreciate every one of you. Okay. I'll see you again tomorrow night, Lord willing. Same time, same place, 7 p.m. Eastern. Until then, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift his upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. See you tomorrow night.